said a little bit ago, it's certainly good to have some visitors with us. Miss Kim, I didn't even see you back there, and uh, probably looked at you three times, and so it's been crazy, but uh, good to have Miss Kim. Scott, good to have you here with us in the services as well. Uh, a couple back here, uh, we certainly appreciate you being with us in the services, and uh, always counted an honor uh, to uh, see uh, uh, some uh, new faces uh, here for the church, and then uh, some... Um, I almost said old faces. That would be mean, wouldn't it? Uh, some um, some recognizable faces. Let's say it that way. And uh, John chapter number four. I need to meet for like five minutes. Okay, five minutes. You want me to tell you who I need to meet with? Okay. Some of y'all look at me like, all right, keep going. If you are between the ages of eighteen and fifty, eighteen and fifty and you are a part of Breaking Baptist Temple, I need to meet with you, okay? Real quick, Brother Dwayne's class, right after the services, 18 to 50. Nobody, I can't think of anybody who's in trouble. I'll think about it, though, while, while I'm preaching. Um, but uh, just, uh, just got to talk to you real quick, and uh, I promise it won't take long. And I uh, appreciate uh, if you'll, just right after the services, if you'll kind of head over, uh, right after baptism, uh, if you kind of head right on over there. Uh, actually, we'll go ahead and meet in the teen room, okay? In the teen room, right after the services. Appreciate um, your help with that. John chapter number four. Uh, this last Sunday, of course, Brother Forrest uh, preached uh, for us as uh, I was up in uh, West Virginia. and um, uh, But the Sunday before that, uh, I started uh, a message or that kind of thought came to my mind with so much changing uh, in our world today. We are changing at a rapid pace. I mean, of course, in the world, but just in the United States of America, things have changed drastically. We've seen with the, the stroke of a pen, things can change very rapidly in our country. And they have, and we've seen it, and we've seen the change, and We've seen some maybe good change, and we've seen some bad change uh, in our, our world today. But one thing is universally true. Things change. Things don't remain the same. Some of us like routine. Some of us like to uh, do the same things over and over every day and uh, every week, every month, every year. And uh, we're not really big on change. Uh, some things are good, uh, some things not so good. You know, you've said about your children, boy, I just, you know, they grew up so fast. If you have small children and, and, and you're thinking to yourself, good night, that's all everybody ever says. I'm telling you, when we're, you're where I am, you're going to say, my goodness, children grow up so fast. <laughs> because it happens so fast and it changes. Now, that's a... In case you didn't know, that's a good thing, okay? Your children are supposed to grow up. That's how, that's how that works, right? And so uh, it, although we sometimes want to slow it down a little bit, it's, it still happens, and that's a good thing. So not all change is bad, uh, but one thing is always true. Change is going to happen. Things are different today than they were yesterday or, or, or last year or last month. For my birthday, Miss Gwen got me a card that was uh, like a booklet from 
my, the year that I was born. And so all the things that happened in 1972, not all the things that happened, but several of the things that happened in, in this little booklet. And as you open up, you open up this booklet, you read and you think to yourself, wow, the price of gas changed a little bit, hadn't it? The price of a loaf of bread. Well, let's face it, the price of anything right now is changed. And certainly from 1972 to 2021, some things have changed drastically. The advancement in, in technology. My goodness, when my son was born, Kyle, he'll be 23 this year in October. When he was born, I had a baby beeper. You know what a beeper is, right? We, we've got to the point now where a, a kid looks at a telephone and goes, what's that? You know, a regular rotary telephone. What, 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 is, what is that thing? Most people don't even have a telephone in their house because they have cell phones they carry around with them everywhere. And, and we used to have this baby beeper and that, by the way, I, we couldn't afford to actually have the beeper, so our insurance covered it for when Wendy went into labor only. So the only thing you could send was 911. So if I, my beeper went off, I knew that she was going into a labor and I had to hurry. There was, no, there was no calling somebody. When you were in the car and you broke down, you hoped somebody came along. You ran out of gas. You hoped somebody came along or you started hoofing it. Why? Because you didn't have a... The convenience of the cell phone. Now listen to me. I hate cell phones. I'm telling you, if I could get away with not having one, I'd throw mine in a river. I can't stand them things. You pay a fortune for them, and then they just break, so you have to pay a fortune for another one. Yeah, it's, it's all a scam. I'm, I'm telling you, it's a scam. Because that's what you see a lot of older people there. You know what they carry? Those flip phones. They don't ever break. You know, they don't. They just flip it up, and you don't have any access to anything. You just make a phone call. We didn't have those before. I can't stand it, but guess what? They're real convenient. Something happens and you can call. Not that anybody ever picks up their phone. Hello, nobody ever answers their phone. I don't know what the point of having one is. You text everybody, you call everybody, and nobody answers. You know, you get that frustration. But things change in life. But some things, when it comes to the Word of God, there are some things that God's people should never change their mind about. I want you to know, as church has, I, I, I regress by using the word evolve, but as the church has evolved through the years, things have changed. I'm glad for padded pews. I'm glad for air conditioning and, and for heat. You're looking, you're just looking at me like, yeah, you never use it. But yeah, I'm glad we have it in case we need it, right? I'm, I'm glad we have a roof over our head. And I'm glad for a lot of the modern things, for the technology to be able to, uh, to live stream for people that can't come to church. I'm glad for these things that have changed over the years. My fear is, with those changes, with those good changes, some bad changes have occurred as well. We've allowed some things to change that should never change. We have allowed it. You know, it used to be universal, almost universal. Back in, 
of the day that the way to God was basically universal. It was Jesus Christ was the way, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. I mean, you could go into, I've got, I've got preachers on my bookshelf that are Methodist, that are Presbyterian, and they all, all, every book they have, every book I've read by them say the same thing. Boy, that's changed, folks. Now, the way to God hasn't changed. But the way that many churches have perceived that the way to God has changed. You see, there's always only been one way. And there always will only be one way. And why is that? Because we're stubborn and we don't want to change. No, because God said so. And if God hasn't changed his mind about something, then we should change our mind about it. If God calls something sin, and that thing, whatever it was, was sin when God wrote the word of God, then it's still sin today. It's not changed. Just because our world has changed... The way we define things anymore is absolutely unbelievable. Everything today is a disease. Everything. It's a disease or it's a disorder. So what have we done? We've taken sin, we've compartmentalized it, and we've made it into this disorder or we've made it into this disease. And we've done that to make ourselves feel better. We don't want to get up anymore and preach against sin. Preach against debauchery. See, our world is completely upside down right now. I'm talking about, when I'm talking about our world, I'm talking about the United States of America. I mean, it absolutely boggles my mind that unless you're talking about a Christian... If you talk about anybody else, it's offensive. I mean, you can't say anything negative unless you're talking about a Christian. Now, you can talk all you want to negatively about a Christian. But if you're talking about anybody else, that's offensive. There are words today we can't even use anymore or we're not supposed to use anymore. One of the very first things, I'm talking about the messed up world we're living in today, and one of the very first things that came out of the new administration is that when, when they're in session, you can't use man or woman. That's the first order of business? Is you can't use man, woman, or daughter, or sister? I'm talking about, you're talking about messed up. However... If you're a man, you want to identify a woman, you can go to the bathroom with a little girl. Listen, wake up, folks. That's messed up. There's some things that have changed in our world today, and unfortunately, the church has changed and compromised with the world. And we've become, or we start looking like the world, and that's a very dangerous thing. We shouldn't change our mind about the way to God. We shouldn't change our mind about the word of God. We talked about both of those things already. God's word is settled. That means God doesn't need to take a survey. I'm not talking about, this is not a democracy when it comes to the word of God. God's word is already settled in heaven. 
That means your take on the word of God changes nothing about the word of God. Now, it'll change some things about your life. It'll change some things about how you live. It'll change some things about the people around you. But when it comes to the word of God, it's already settled. God's word, we should never change our mind about. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. We talked about things, these things. It's perfect. It's pure. It's preserved. God's word, it's a living book, a leading book, a lasting book. God's word is for warfare and for worship. And it's a book of wonders. Wow. God's word. You know, we don't respect God's word like we used to. I mean, used to be we would we had respect for God and his word. Now anymore, you gotta lock up the church. You gotta lock up your vehicle. You gotta have a security gate. Because there's no respect for the word of God and there's no respect for the things of God. I'm not saying that nobody has them. I'm just telling you they are deteriorating in our world today. We're not going forward spiritually. We're going backwards spiritually in our lives and in our churches today. Some influential leaders, they sadden me. They absolutely sadden me. Some of these, some of these leaders that have all this influence over other people and, and they're failing and they're falling and they're saying some of the dumbest unbiblical things that you can think of. And they got churches, listen to me, they got churches of 10,000 people. Somebody, listen to me, somebody's leading somebody astray. And we're raising up our children in these environments. And we're more worried about programs and, and things that, what's in it for me? Then how... Am I going to raise my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? You know how important that is? Ask any parent, they'll tell you how important it is. But we've gone backwards instead of going forwards. John chapter number 4, we should not only not change our minds uh, uh, about uh, the way to God and uh, uh, the word of God, but then we shouldn't change our mind about the worship of God. We shouldn't change our mind about the worship of God. John chapter number 4. I love this verse. Jesus is speaking here in verse number 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is His spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What a, what a powerful passage. Jesus here speaking about worship and talking about true worship. So let me tell you something about this passage right off the bat. The idea that God says true worship automatically identifies that there's a false worship. Otherwise, he would have just used the word worship. So he says he's looking for true worshipers. So I want you to know that there is false worship, not only in our world, but unfortunately in our churches today. And we need to be able to identify it. We need to be able to understand this false worship that we find in so many churches around our country, the worship of God. Today's worship, let me tell you, 
what today's worship looks like too often. Number one, it looks fleshly. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? We even have this idea today that uh, if I tithe, preacher, what am I going to get out of it? Now, I've never actually had anybody bold enough to say those words to me. But so often we think that or we consider that. Now, listen, I want you to know something. Give, the scripture says in Luke 6, give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Uh, listen, no, no doubt, uh, when you give, uh, God gives. And we've said it for years. You've probably said it for years. You've said it to your children. You've said it to your Sunday school class. You've said it to other people. You can't outgive God. I believe that. I believe it 100%. But I want you to know this fact. If you put $100 in the offering, that doesn't mean next week you're getting a $200 check. Now, you might. Certainly possible. I've seen it done. I've seen it happen to me. The point isn't that God gives back more money. It's the point that God gives back more blessing. And see, our problem is we're carnal. Fleshly, that's what fleshly means. We're carnal and we can think of only ourselves. What's in this for me? What can I do to better myself? By the way, there's nothing wrong with bettering yourself. We should all strive to be better, right? We should all strive to be better spiritually. You see, often we're striving to be better, but we're striving to be better in this world. We're striving to be better fleshly and not spiritually. God help us. Yes, I want to be better, but I want to be, I want to be better in my prayer life. I want to be better in my Bible study. I want to be better in my church attendance. I want to be better in my the spirit. I want to be a better witness. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better teacher. Those are the things that we ought to strive to be better in. Because one day you're not going to stand before your boss. You're not going to stand before the president. You're not going to stand before your corporation. You're going to stand before God one day. And I, I'm just guessing on this one, but I'm, I'm not, I don't think that God's going to ask what your net worth is. I told my daughter, she's in Bible college right now, well, the first semester she just, I mean, she took them classes, it was 100 on this test, and she just absolutely being a dump, so I said, Hey, what's the matter? She said, I got a 98. I said, oh, climb me a river, child. I mean, seriously. She got all A's. She got one high B. I mean, she just barely missed an A in speech last semester. Well, this semester, she sent me about midnight the other night, she sent me a picture of like seven pages that she had to memorize for the test she had to take tomorrow. It's getting harder. I told her, by the way, that's how it works when you're in college. It's going to continue to get harder. You're going to have to continue to take harder classes. I said, listen, I'm, I'm not a, I don't, 
all I want you to do is your very best. I don't expect her to get all A's. I didn't get all A's. I don't expect her to, uh, to be, I expect her to be the best that she can be. And I told her this. I said, let me tell you something. When you get out and you graduate and you go to the mission board and you go with the mission board to go to the mission field, they're not going to say, what was your grade point average? They, they don't. When I came here almost 12 years ago, I met, I, good night, I bet I met with seven committees. It seemed like I met with a whole bunch of people. And I sat down with these people and they drilled me with a bunch of questions. I mean a bunch of questions. And the only thing I know to do is just be straightforward. So I was just straightforward as best I could. But out of all the questions, out of all the people, nobody asked me what my grade point average was. Nobody. Not one person. Now, I'm thinking that some of them, if they could have thought of it, they would have asked me. But they didn't think of it. And so they didn't ask me. What do they want to know? I have a bachelor's degree in pastoral theology. What does it matter what grades you got or what, what, uh, how well you did in this area or how well, what do you do? You do the very best you can and you do the things that the very best you can so that later in your life you don't have regrets. Do you, have, do you live with regret? Anybody in here live with regret? Because if you say you did, you're lying. We all regret something. Something we did, something we said. Usually, most of us, it's something's plural. And, you know, we wish we could just, don't you wish you could just dump yesterday all the bad things and last week and get rid of all those things, but that's not how the brain works, does it? Now, you can forget where you put your key, where you put your phone down. Last two Sundays, not this Sunday, but the previous Sunday, and the Sunday before that, I lost my glasses. Because I'm down here preaching like this, I take them off and I put them down here. And I forget that I put them down there. So I go all over the place to try to find them, and, and here they are. I'm not going to do it again. And here they are. I can forget all those things, but man, some of the things that I did that I wish I hadn't done, I can't seem to forget them. And that's the way the brain works. And so what's the best course of action? Now, obviously the best course of action is... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. That's the best, uh, the best after we've done it. But really the best course of action is not to do it to begin with. To avoid doing it. And the only way to do that is to draw closer to God. And the only way to do that is to study the Bible and be in church and be a witness and, and be a prayer warrior and get all these things uh, in our lives as we draw closer and closer to him. So often in today's worship is fleshly. It's all about me and what I can do. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. You jot that down. Today's worship is not only fleshly, but today's worship is foolishness. It's foolishness. The nonsense that goes on in churches today is absolutely mind-boggling. Absolutely nonsense. You know, my preacher has always said, he always said, if you've got a, if you've got a, Feed somebody a, a, a steak dinner to get them to come to church, you're going to always have to feed them a steak dinner to get them to come to church. Isn't it amazing to you what you have to do to get people to come to church today? I mean, you gotta, you got to stand on your head. 
I mean, you've got to be, I, I mean, every time, every time I get into this pulpit, I, I, I take that very serious as a sacred place to be. And I never know who's going to be here. And if there's five people here, or there's uh, 105 people here, I don't study any less. Why? Because I know what I say I'm going to be accountable for one day. And I don't want to be wrong. I'm not saying I'm never wrong. I'm just telling you I don't want, it's not my desire to ever be wrong or mistaken. And today, good, good, good gravy, today you can just flat out lie and it's okay. It's all right. Well, it's not okay. And it's not all right. And we've got to be able to be accurately dividing the word of truth, accurately preaching the word of God, and accurately letting people know uh, what uh, is going on through the scriptures. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. There's foolishness in today's worship. And let me tell you what else today's worship is. It's fleeting. It's fleeting. We have this idea that if we come into the church and we sing a bunch of really upbeat songs and, and tap our feet and, and, and sway up on the stage and just have ourselves a good time, that we had worship. And if we don't have those things, we don't have worship. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not what's defined in the Word of God. Let me tell you what you have to have for worship. Jesus told us in John chapter 4. For you to be a true worshiper and for the church to uh, worship the word of God, there are qualifications. There are things that have to happen and have to be. I want you to know, if you're going to go out and play soccer, there's some things you've got to have. You've got to have a soccer ball. I know that's deep, right? I mean, if you're going to play a professional game of soccer, you've got to have a soccer ball. Guess what else you have to have? People. Kind of hard to have a soccer game with just a ball. You've got to have nets. I mean, listen to me. You know how much I know about soccer? Zero. Zilcho. I know that overseas they call it football. That's all I know about it. But I know you have to have nets, people, and a soccer ball to have soccer. So there are some things that God says you have to have if you're going to have worship. If you don't have them, you won't have worship. I don't care if you do it in the church or if you're doing it at home, your car. I don't care where you are. If you're going to worship God, then John chapter 4 is paramount to our worship. Here it is. You ready? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. I want you to know there are many churches today that are just gathering. No different than the Moose Lodge or any other, any other organization that meet together. It's no different. And so often we meet together and there's no spirit and there's no truth. Uh, let's define it. It's really easy. What is spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit of God, we have no worship. You take the Holy Spirit out of the equation, then you're just meeting together. But it's not only the Holy Spirit, it's truth. I was in a, a, a store yesterday, and I was uh, in a thrift store, and I was 
looking at the books, and there was a, a Bible in there. Matter of fact, there was about eight Bibles. And they were all, and I don't say this sacrilegiously because I don't believe they were Bibles, but they're all junk. I mean, these different kinds of Bibles that just do not, I mean, change wording and take out, you know, this, this whole chapter shouldn't be in the Bible, so I'm going to remove it. I don't know where in the world we come to the conclusion that we're smarter than God, but that's a dangerous place to live. And we alter and change, and we, you know why we do that? Because we don't want God's truth, we want our version of God's truth. It's a big difference. My wife, when we go out to eat, we um, never, almost never go to a buffet. She can't stand it. She calls it gumming. I think that's what she calls it. Where they go in there and they hands are all over the foods all over them, just slapping it on their plates and. Man, I love it. I'm just telling you. You want to know why I like a buffet? Because I can pick what I want. I go in there, and man, if they've got, you know, greens, I'm not even going near them. Disgusting. Can't stand the smell of them. Can't stand the taste of them. I mean, they're, my daughter Emma, she'll, she'll eat a whole plate of them. She loves them. Not me. I'm staying away from them. But guess what? At a buffet, I don't have to eat it. When I'm in a restaurant and I go to eat breakfast, I very rarely eat breakfast, and I very rarely eat breakfast in a restaurant. You know why? We live in the South. They think you have to have grits with every breakfast. So when I sit down and I order my breakfast, I tell them, listen to me, no, if grits are on this plate touching any of my food, I'm sending it back. I'll tell the waitress that. She'll just, she'll just laugh. She's, <laughs> he's not kidding. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Don't give me grits. On a buffet, I don't have to have it. I could just pass by it. I can go eat cream of wheat. <laughs> I like cream of wheat. And go eat oatmeal. You know, I can, I can get sausage or eggs. I can get what I want because it's a buffet. Let me tell you something about the Word of God. It is not a buffet. You don't get to pick and choose. Well, I really like this one. This one sounds good. So John 3, 16, that's going in my Bible. By the way, John 3, 16 is in everybody's Bible because we like that one because that's the one that says that God loves us. So, so we like that. Judgment, uh-uh, we're going to cut all of that out. That don't belong there. God's not a God of judgment. God's not a God of wrath. That's because you're reading the wrong Bible. Because God is a God of judgment and God is a God of wrath. Knowing, listen what the scripture says, you ready for this one? Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The terror of the Lord. Have you read the Old Testament lately? I mean, whole people groups. God's judgment. And if you think for one iota, if you think for one second, the church is going to escape judgment the way we've been acting, your, your head is in the clouds. It's in the clouds. God judges his people. He judges us individually. He will judge us corporately as well. The Bible says judgment begins in the house of God. 
And so as we, as we think about worship, we've got to realize it. We've got to understand the importance of worship and what worship is supposed to be. Let me give it to you. I'll, I'll give you the actual outline real quick. I, I kind of gave it to you already. But number one, worship is to be scriptural. John chapter 4, verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you see the word must in my Bible? I, I circled it and underlined it. Must. That means have to. It means it's required. It's not a suggestion. It's not just a good idea. It's not one of those things, well, oh, I'll pick it or I won't pick it. I like fruit. You like fruit? I just love fruit. And a diabetic should never eat fruit. Well, God made fruit, so that's good chuckle. So I, I love fruit. And I love berries. Those are the best for you. But I was, I got some black, they're so expensive. I mean, everything's so expensive right now, but fruit is always expensive. But I like to get bunches of different kinds of fruit and mix it up, make a fruit salad. So I got some blackberries and some raspberries. Blueberries are way too expensive. So I got some, some, some raspberries and some blackberries, and, and I, of course, I wash them, and I, I wash them all down, and, and I dumped it in a, in a bowl. Man, I started looking in there, and there were some not-so-good-looking blackberries. Some of them were smushed. Some of them were not quite black. Blackberries are supposed to be black. And so what did I do? Well, I just mixed it up and ate it anyways. No. Now, I'm going to throw the whole thing away. If you paid for blackberries, you wouldn't either. So I reached in there, and I picked out the bad. Got those, got those bad ones out there. Rewashed the, the blackberries again, and then I was able to eat them. But I, I picked out the bad stuff. Got rid of the bad stuff. Let me tell you what our church needs to do. When I say our church, I'm talking about churches in general. We need to get the bad stuff out. There should be no flesh when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to church and when it comes to worship. If you leave the service, every service, feeling like you're on cloud nine and feeling good, something's not right. I'm just telling you, something's not right. The Holy Spirit, if you're saved and know Christ is your Savior, if you place your faith and trust in Him, by the way, if you've not, God loves you. He loves you supremely. He loves you sacrificially. Jesus Christ came to die. That's why he came. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me tell you what was lost. You and me. We're what's lost. God didn't come to redeem this world. I want you to know something about this world, this sphere that we live on. It's going to burn up. God's going to make a new one. He didn't come to redeem this world. He didn't come to redeem. Listen, I don't, I don't want to burst anybody's bubbles, but he didn't come to redeem your dog or your cat or animals. Yes, don't come to me afterwards. I know there'll be animals in heaven. I get it. I read about it too. But this idea that my dog got saved. Folks. I'm gonna get, I know I'm going to get feedback on that. I'm going to get feedback on that. It's okay. I'm just telling you, God came to redeem man. He came to redeem me and you. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Him, do that this morning. Trust Him as your personal Savior. He'll save you. And then guess what happens? The Spirit of God indwells you and lives inside of you. 
and the Spirit of God that lives inside of you saying about that bowl of blackberries, no, that's not good, take it out. Don't eat that. Don't go there. Don't say this. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? No, what's happening is we're leaving those rotted blackberries in our bowl and it begins to affect the other one. You ever notice that about bananas or fruit in, in general? One rots, guess what? It begins to affect the other ones and they all rot. You got to separate them. You got to get you got to get rid of the bad so that the good will last. And so we've got to get rid of this fleshly uh, idea of worship and understand that worship must be scriptural. Worship is not only to be scriptural, but worship is to be spiritual. Let me tell you about music. Music's a funny thing, isn't it? I, I could preach another hour on music. Music's a funny thing. And if I polled everybody in here, we'd get a whole bunch of different ideas when it comes to music. But let me tell you scriptural music. Get ready. Here it is. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Making melody in our hearts to the Lord. That's what the scripture says about music. You know why? Because the music affects us. I mean, just play music somewhere. I guarantee you, most people are going to tap their foot, hum. If we're in public, to embarrass my children, I'll sing as loud as I can, just to embarrass them. And then as they go, oh, Dad, I say, Emma, hey, Emma, she's that's my daughter. They they know they know to be careful. I'll embarrass them, big time. But music affects us, doesn't it? I mean, it, it affects how we think. It affects how we act. So what do we need to do? We need to put good music in our lives. Now, I'm not the music police. So let's say about Facebook. I'm not the Facebook police. I don't even have a Facebook. I'm not going to go around policing people's Facebook. And I'm not going to go around church to church policing their music. Whoop! They're playing the wrong music in that church. You know, the first thing I'm going to look at, now there's some places I probably could not go. I'm not, I'm just, I'm just, that's me. But you know what I'm going to look at first? Where are they at scripturally with their Bible? With their preaching? Does the preacher get up and preach against sin? Preach against the Bible? Does the, we don't even think about those things anymore. We just worry about whether we're being entertained or not. And guess what's happened? We've not got help. We've not got the spiritual help that we need. How do you know that, preacher? Just look around. Just pick up the newspaper. Just turn on the television. It will disgust you at what's going on in our world today. People shooting and killing each other. And people, people racist against each other. I mean, all the garbage that's going on. And guess what? It's seeped into the church. It's high time. Listen to what Paul said. It's high time that we wake up out of our sleep and our slumber. And we open up our eyes to what's really going on. And make sure that our worship is scriptural. Make sure that our worship is spiritual. Now, there may be some things about our church that other people don't like. Methodology is a funny thing, isn't it? I don't like how he did, or I don't like it. And I promise you, there are going to be things that you don't like about me. And if you don't think there are, come on, i got a list, I'll give them to you. There are some things sometimes I don't like about myself. But you know, 
we're focused too often on the wrong things. Instead of being focused on the Lord, we're focused on problems and people's idiosyncrasies and methodology and those are the things that we're focused on. We're focused on being critical. So easy to be critical, isn't it? You look at somebody else and you say, well, he's not, or hey, she's not. Because being critical, let me tell you what being critical is. Being critical is passing the buck. If I'm concentrating on somebody else, I don't have to concentrate on myself. Because I'm better than so-and-so. I'm doing better than she is. I'm, and we, it goes back to that flesh of how we think about things. How should we think about things? We should think about things spiritually. Spiritually guided things are guided through the spirit, and they're guided through the word of God. This is really ultimately what matters. And really, ultimately, this is all that matters. When you stand before God one day, you're going to have to answer for what you've done in your body, whether it be good or bad. Second Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that. And so well, what does God tell us? This is how to live your life. This is how to run your church. This is how you worship. And you can't disregard the word of God and expect things to come out better. Except expect things to come out good. You know the definition of crazy is? doing the same thing over and over expecting a different result that's crazy and sometimes we do need to change but we need to change towards the spiritual we need to change towards God not towards the world well if we just be more like the world maybe the world will come they won't they won't and if they do what does it matter? It's just another country club. If we continue to succumb to the things and the fads of this world, we're going to become less and less like the church and more and more like the world. And as you're more and more like the world, whether corporately as a church or individually as a Christian, you're going to be less and less holy. And you're going to be less and less light dark world. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's never been a time in your life where by faith you received Jesus Christ into your heart and your life. Can I tell you this morning by the authority of the word of God that God loves you. God cares about you. God cares where you're going to spend eternity. Because I want you to know this morning, you will spend eternity somewhere. This is not it. We pass from this life, we pass to the next. There's only two choices on the shelf. There's no in-betweens, there's no waiting places. There's no alternate places. There's just heaven and hell. And those that receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and receive Him into their heart and their life will spend eternity with God in heaven. 
not because they're a good person or not because uh, 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 they've d- done good things. It's because they place their faith and in, in trust in Christ. But all those that don't place their faith and trust in Christ will not go to heaven. And by the way, I just said it, there's only two choices on the shelf. God's made the way. It's God's desire. It's God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God didn't say that was going to happen. He said it's his desire. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, can I encourage you this morning, put the cares of the world to the side for a moment. Realize this morning that you are a sinner. And without Christ, you are lost and undone. And place your faith this morning. You don't understand, preacher, I don't have a lot of faith. God never told us how much faith. You're putting your faith in something. It may be this world, it may be yourself, it may be the church, it, I don't know what it is, maybe you're baptized, I don't know what it is, but you're placing your faith in something, place that faith in Christ and receive for forgiveness of sins this morning. Let's stand together, head bowed, eyes closed. Piano playing this morning, a hymn invitation. Maybe you need to come and just talk it over the Lord this morning. Maybe you need to come and you're not saved. You don't know Christ as your Savior. Can I encourage you to to, to not wait one more moment? Time is short. We have no idea how long we have. But I know this. James tells us our life is but a vapor. It's just here for just a little while. Just a, a, a little time and then it vanishes away. It's gone. Sure, this morning, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you're born again. As the piano plays, if you need to come, there's time this morning to come.